You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM out of Vancouver. My guest today is Jeff Darrow. Um, I guess to run down the comics work, uh, Hard Boiled, um, Shaolin Cowboy, uh, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot, uh, Bourbon Threat, as well as a plethora of other goodies that came out in France that I have not been able to get my hands on. <laughs> That's about it. To tell you the <laughs> <truth>. <laughs> There's a lot of fake titles that I came up with that people seem to think exist, but they were never ever. It was a joke. <laughs> the kind of uh, hopes comics you'd love to do one day, you just know you'll never have the chance. No, no, it was just a joke. You know, I, I, the first book I ever did over there, I, I, I I'd really always liked the Tintin books because on the back they have this nice drawing with all these titles of Tintin you could buy. And so in the first book I ever did, I put all the titles of these books that didn't exist, like so that it seemed like the character had existed as long as Tintin. But if you read any of the titles, they would just, you know, I, I can't believe that anybody would think they actually existed. But people didn't. People would try to order them. And the bookstores were actually annoyed that I'd done that. You know, they were getting orders for these things, and they, you know, it was funny. I thought it was funny. Was that something you were doing with Bourbon Threat as well? As yeah, uh... yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I haven't bourbon had it. Actually... Okay. Sorry, I was trying to be all I mean, proper. Bourbon, bourbon. No, that's okay. I mean, Bourbon Thread is actually the Shaolin Cowboy anyway. So. Oh, okay. So it's an earlier incarnation of it, or is the yeah, exact same yeah. character? Yeah, it's, it's basically the same guy. Yeah. Okay. I want to get a little background on you, because in the time I've been putting together this interview, um, mm-hmm. I really couldn't find very much 
on you as far as info online, interviews. Um, so I don't know kind of your background and like what got you into comics and what excited you about comics. Well, you know, like everybody, I just grew up reading them and I wanted to draw them because I just loved I mean, I grew up, you know, reading, well, the beginning was Batman and Superman and then I was really, I always loved dinosaurs and stuff, so I used to buy anything that had a dinosaur or a monster on the cover. And uh, and then I discovered, actually it was by mistake, because I was at the dentist and next door there was a pharmacy and they only had about three comics. And one was like, you know, Sugar and Spike or something, or some, you know, some girly comic. And the one they had was a superhero comic, and it was the Fantastic Four annual where um, Reed and uh, Sue get married. And so it was like the whole Marvel Universe in one book. And I had no idea what that was, and I bought it, and I became a huge, huge fan of uh, Marvel Comics, especially Jack Kirby. That was actually the launching part of my great passion for comics. I think Kirby's a good launching point. Yes, he is, and I was fortunate enough to have worked with him at uh, Hanna-Barbera. I was going to ask about that. He would come in, and just the sweetest man, uh, just a really sweet guy, who, you know, should have been treated way better than he was, but uh, by Marvel Industries, if you ask me. Was he never seemed bitter. He never seemed bitter about it. No. You know, he basically created that whole universe, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> was that going into animation? Um, did you want to go into comics as well, or was that something you just kind oh, of? I'd wonder, yeah, I'd wonder, I'd wanted to go into comics, but you know, at that at the time, this was the early '80s. I mean, getting into comics was like winning the lottery. I mean, you really, it was really you had to fit into a certain house style and. And uh, I can remember showing my stuff to remember Archie Goodwin, and he said, "Well, you know, I really like it. I just wouldn't know what to do with it because it wasn't, you know, in D.C. They just, you know, just, you know, I mean, and you know, in those days too, if you if you did get into comics, that you would, they would never ever put you on like you know, some guys always break in, you know, drawing Wolverine or Batman. Back then, it'd stick you on some backup feature, and you'd really have to sort of work your way up through the, uh, you know, just work your way up to some top-selling book. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was I was never ever offered any any comics work for from them. Were you exposed to any of the European stuff in the seventies when you're? Kind of oh wait, wait, wait! Yeah, way in the, yeah in the early seventies, I had um, just I had a book by Maurice Horn called The History of Comics. It's just an amazing book at the time, and it because it, it's the first time I was exposed. Cause I grew up in Iowa; I didn't have anything there, and and this book just had images from comics from all around the world. I mean, and and, and one of them was uh, Jean Giraud, who's known as Mobius, mm-hmm. and it had pages of. of uh, Lieutenant Blueberry. I was like, holy jeepers. This guy's really... And they had Tintin. They had all these guys. I and mean, it wasn't just, you know, the U.S. stuff. It was everywhere from Spain. And and I was really impressed with him. And Bud Plant, at around 74, he used to, in his catalog, he would sell European comics. And I remember I saw he had had a couple of these Blueberry books. And I couldn't speak French, but I didn't carry one of the drawings. <laughs> 
And so I sent for him, and they're like a buck and a half a piece, and, you know, he would, he stopped some because nobody was buying them, because, I mean, even when I'd show them, I mean, later on, I'd show them, people were just, if they couldn't read them, they weren't interested in them, mm-hmm. which always kind of boggled my mind, because the drawings are just so good, and storytelling, you can sort of follow it along. And so, and that's how I got, uh, you know, into European stuff. And, I mean, you know, I, I was into that stuff <laughs> way before, uh, uh, before Metal Herlant uh, came out? In oh, yeah, yeah. Metal? Well, I mean, before Heavy Metal. I mean, I yeah. I was buying Metal Herlant from the very beginning, and that was, the f- that was the first published comics I've ever had was in Metal Herlant. Oh, okay. Was any of that work reprinted in Heavy Metal, or...? Yeah, it's... it's uh, it's Yeah, one of them was. In fact, there's one thing reprinted in Heavy Metal, and it was a, a bourbon threat story that the first one I'd ever done. But in, in Metal... <laughs> It was printed in heavy metal. It's like, I don't know, 15 pages long. But I'd drawn it as four pages. It was four enormous pages with about <laughs> 15 panels on each page. And to this day, it's my preferred version of it because it's just so nuts. I mean, so every panel is about, you know, postage stamp size. And there are, you know, hundreds of figures. And it was really crazy. And it was printed in black and white and uh, metal for long. So were you doing your, like, super detailed work pretty early on? I think so, but, you know, I never thought of it that way. I just thought that was the way it was split. I never thought of it as being that detailed. I, I just, you know, was what I thought it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that was, I guess, probably around 1983. That's when I also, eventually, I moved to France. So I'm c- curious, um, you mentioned working with Jack Kirby at Hunter Barbera. Yeah. Were you also around Alex Toth at that time, too, at all? You know, Alex, he was there, but Alex, you know, I mean, everybody loved his work, but he... He was miserable? He was miserable, but he, you know, he made himself miserable. He, I mean, he's so talented, and he just kind of would shoot himself in the foot. He would, because I used to work with guys that worked with him way back, and there was a movie that came out called um, How to Murder Your Wife with Jack Lemon, and he plays a cartoonist who draws this strip that looks a lot like, kind of like Rip Kirby. And originally Alex Toth was drawing, and, in, and during the movie you get to see these comic strips that he was drawing. And um, he, uh, they were originally it was supposed to be Alex Toth. And he'd started drawing them, and uh, then he realized he didn't think he was getting paid enough. And so he asked for more money, and you know, in Hollywood, he just don't, he just can't do that. And they fired him, and the guy that was over the Hanover Bear was a guy that they got after that. And he'd done it a few times, and he would do stuff like that. He would feel like he was being taken advantage of, mm-hmm. and he would, uh, you know. I, so he, when he was there, he had stopped drawing for Hanna Barbera, and I, I was working on a project where they were trying to do giant robots because they were very popular, and they wanted to do stuff like the Japanese. And I was the only guy there that knew about that stuff, and they brought me in to sort of. And I had a lot of those toys, uh, <laughs> and and they brought brought me in, and I had these toys, and I'd show them how they'd break apart and put them back together. Where Alex was there, and he looked over at the end of the the, the meeting, he said, "Hey, told me you know Mobius." And I said, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "How much money did he get paid to work on Tron?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, I said I think they were paying him this." And he said, oh, and that was, you know, he was just, you know, annoyed because, you know, he'd never gotten that kind of money. (laughs) 
But you, you know, really... Mobius, here's a, a, here's a whole other idea. You put up, you give him something to do, he just does it. He does yeah. it. And, you know, he's a lovely man to, to, to work with. Alex just seems so, you know, bitter. And it's just it's such a shame that he didn't keep drawing. I mean, you know, he started Torpedo, and he, you know, jumped ship on that because I... I don't know the whole story behind it. I'd always heard it was something to do with he didn't like the content. He yeah, I heard the moral he, or something like that. I heard the same thing. It's pretty much he did not like the uh, the excess nudity or whatnot. Yeah, like, uh, you know, I, but so I've known so many people have had relationships with him that it's gone south because they made a comment that he didn't like, and boy, once that door closed, it was closed forever. Mm-hmm. No, I've I've heard that. And that's kind of what I'm yeah. curious of your experience with him. Just no, I mean, see. like I said, my experience is just that he, you know, and I spent God knows how many hours out at the Xerox machine copying, you know, <laughs> making copies of, of his model sheets and yeah. his storyboard. I've I mean, we're we're total polar opposites drawing wise, because uh, he distills it down to the very you know uh, essence, and I you know have every ingredient out of the book in there. And, but, you know, I just, yeah, an amazing artist. So it was Tron where you first met Mobius. Um, what was that like for you as... Uh... Well, I see, I was, I mean, Tron, I mean, I I was working at Hanna-Barbera doing uh, character design. And uh, I had, a, I had uh, my girlfriend at the time, her best friend's husband was an engineer who was working at Disney, uh, helping to build... Epcot Center in Florida. And so he was a guy that had a fairly high position at Disney, and I'd heard through the grapevine that Mobius was at Disney. And I was like, oh my God. You know, I mean, I, I was just like, you know, I, I, I just want to meet this guy. Because no, at this point, no one had ever seen him outside of Europe, and he was just this mysterious figure. And uh, just, just if I could just meet him. And I call up my friend, uh, and I said, you know, there's this guy working there at Disney, and his name is Jean Giraud. He goes by the name of Mobius, and I could just get in to meet him, and just I would just shake his hand because he was such an influence on me. And he said, "Well, he said, well, I'll you know I'll see what I can do." And yeah, I didn't hear anything. The day goes by, and I get a call, and he goes, "Oh, we're having dinner with him on Saturday night." And I was like, "Are you sure?" Yeah. And so that yeah, and he came to my apartment, met at my apartment, and I still kept thinking, it's can't be this it's something this is too good to be true it's going to be somebody it's not going to be the real guy and it was him yeah and that's how we started a, a friendship was that you know him working on tron and he invited me to a couple parties and we ran in like a 5k run with the with the director and <laughs> i think annoyed the director because you know they're those guys like who is this guy who you this guy you drug along who is this guy you know movie people are like Wait a minute! Oh, who's this guy? Yeah. It, you know, it, it, you know. I think the Wachowskis did that one when I was working on the Matrix. They had they they were going over to Jennifer Jennifer Tilly's house to play poker. <laughs> and they said, "You want to come along?" I said, "You know, Steve Scross and I, uh, another great artist, Steve Scross." And and he said, and "He said, yeah." So he says, "You know, we didn't know anybody, and we went over there." <laughs> I just remember the look on Jennifer Tilly's face when she saw us. A couple of cartoons. Like, oh, how nice. Strangers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, and, she, and the funny thing is she went on to become a, 
Like she plays, I think, professional poker. Yeah, that's what she does now. She plays but poker. But I did really. beat her a few hands, so I felt kind of good. There we go. I think uh, Steve shops at the same comic store that I do. Ah, I can't even talk to him. He called me yesterday. I got to call him back. He says, I don't think he goes into comic stores much anymore. He told me. I was asking him, man. Do you still keep up with comics? Oh, me. Oh, yeah, I go in and look. I'm still... I don't buy a lot of stuff because I've sort of... There's so many of them that I've kind of lost track. I'm still... I always ask the de- I always ask the, the the shop that I go into. I say, "So what's the deal on this? You know, what's going on with? Because this whole red Hulk, green Hulk thing just <laughs> boggles my mind. Because it's like they're going to step into that same trap that Superman did with red kryptonite and green kryptonite. There's going to be too many Hulks. In France, they have a saying that you don't add water to your wine, and they seem to be adding a lot of water to that Hulk wine. It's I not going to be the more, same vintage it was when Kirby started it. I think it's more water than wine now. Yeah, I mean, does it? Has it? Have they explained it? We I the red Hulk am is? probably the worst person to talk about uh, oh. <laughs> Red Hulk. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the whole Green Lantern thing. Now there's like all these, like they're all wearing mood rings or something, right? You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was fascinated by the fact that each week you could go in and get one of those rings. But would you wear them? No. No. <laughs> I don't know if they were going to give them to me because I get asked about it. I'm fascinated by the phenomenon of it. I'm always fascinated that there's certain characters that are always like second tier characters. Mm-hmm. And it's like if they wait long, long enough, they're going to become, you know, the hottest thing since, you know, Justin Bieber. Who was thinking he's Canadian, right? Justin yep. Bieber? Uh, did, the whole, did the whole country go into mourning when he didn't win the Grammy? No, because Arcade Fire won the Grammy. And they're Canadian as well. Now that's yeah, that's a good, good band. Yeah, well, they're fantastic. When yeah. you um, moved to France, could you speak French at all? A little bit. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Yeah. Um, but my but my who became my wife eventually. I met her, and she was very patient and would speak French with me. Because uh, as soon as they hear, you know, you hear, as soon as you hear someone struggling with the language, if you can speak a language, people will just kind of kick in and, you know. But she just was very patient with me. And she spoke, she speaks English very, very well. And between that and watching American TV, which had been translated into French, I would watch it and I knew all the shows and I knew what they were kind of talking about. And I would, uh, you know, oh, oh, that's what, oh. And they'd run them twice because they were so cheap, the stations at the time. The evening programming was also the morning program the next day. So I'd sometimes watch the same, same shows twice, and that was very helpful. Let's see how it resonates with you. Well, yeah, I could, you know, I could, I'd pick up the words that I didn't get the first night. When moving to France, what kind of, was that a huge life decision? Yeah, it was, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, but I just kind of, I had been engaged to a girl, and we were going to get married, and then it kind of, you know, it was one of those things where I don't, I didn't think I was quite ready because I never had, I couldn't keep a steady job. I mean, I I worked at Hanna Barbera, but I was always laid off. I mean, I'd start work maybe in May or June, and by October I'd be gone. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like on unemployment six months out of the year, and I that's when I'd try drawing comics is during that period. That sounds but, like the standard for animation now. Yeah, and you, you know, I and the girl I was going to marry was a very came from a conservative family, and I and uh, they 
didn't dislike me. They just, I mean, they just saw me as this, God, you know, I'm far from it, a hippie that they would, you know, like, this guy is never going to, you can't depend on this guy. And she wanted the house and the kids and, you know, the biological time clock was ticking. And I just said, no, I can't. And that's when I just said, oh, I got nothing tying me down and I'll see what it's like to live in another country. And I moved to France and I'd had contact with Mobius and he had started a new, he had working with this publisher who would like my work a lot, said that they would print me. And uh, that's why I went. What was the experience like working with him as far as affecting your work as a cartoonist? Mobius? Yeah. Oh, gosh, you know, I mean, he was just such a uh, huge influence. I don't think anybody resonated with me like him. I mean, Kirby quite a bit, but, you know, Mobius is... is I met, you know who Alejandro Jodorowsky is? Yeah, oh yeah, El Topo. Well, yeah, well, you know, I, I know him quite well, but the first time I met him, uh, the first words you'd see my artwork, and the first things out, words out of his mouth to me were, "What are the language uh, restrictions? Are you censored?" Right. No, we're in Canada. Okay, all right. The first thing he said to me, "Daro, Daro, why do you want to fuck your father?" <laughs> <laughs> because we were, uh, you know, we were doing this thing called City of Fire, and he just saw it as, you know, you're, he's gonna, you know, you're sleeping. With, it's incestuous working with him. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to eat you alive. <laughs> he will eat you alive. And I thought that was so funny. And so, but you know, I he, I did these drawings, and he would uh, ink them, and that's what he did. And and he told me later that they were so complicated. He said he couldn't work for them on them longer than an hour to a day. And he would get these things, and he'd start out his morning inking these drawings and it took some of them took him two or three weeks to finish and uh, he, he really enjoyed it I mean we still talk about doing it again and uh, you know I, I mean you know it's like you, know, you hit the gold the jackpot because he just you know he could take a turd and turn it into you know a swan he's just so amazing made me look good and put me on the map in Europe. People took notice of me because I had worked with Mobius. Mm -hmm. Like later on I did with Frank Miller. <laughs> like a, I'm like a I'm like an artistic remora. <laughs> I attach myself to these to the stars and then I just like I'm through with you, buddy. I'm moving on. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you'd be happy to work with was. Mobius again. Yeah, I you know, I think Frank would you know, we talk about it a little bit, but I think for Frank it was a lot harder than Mobius because he never knew what I was going to do. I was like, oh, you changed that. Like, yeah, wasn't I supposed to? Oh. That's, I, I do have a bunch of uh, hard-boiled related questions we'll jump into. I just want to finish off with the Mobius stuff. Um, how big were the City of Fires, the original Oh, they were, they were uh, pretty big. I can't, let me see. What, I guess some of them were... I don't know, like 13 inches by 24 inches. It was like a sheet of, not quite a, not quite a full sheet of Strathmore, but most of them were pretty close to it. Yeah. I'm curious how you plan out a page like that with the the really complex denseness. Um, I don't. I just figure out the composition. I figure that geometrically, 
the, the horizon line that this is going to be a down shot and this is the big shape the building is here and then I just start the corner in the middle and draw I mean there's a lot of drawing that I do that ends up being erased because you overlap something over it and then <laughs> everything you've drawn under that overlapping shape you got to take out that's always kind of hard is there kind of like um it almost like automaticness to it where you just kind of go and go and go and just kind of fill up the space and see what comes up or no it's no, I'm not sure if I, I don't I don't know it it's they always start out really uh very um sane and kind of simple you mm -hmm. know and until I actually have drawn something I think oh this doesn't look too bad I'm always very nervous that, oh, this is another crappy job that I've done. And then, you know, I might still be crappy at the end, but, I mean, at least I go, oh, no, this is kind of interesting. And then I also like, oh, this guy, oh, he's carrying, this lady's carrying a shopping bag. And, oh, what if there's, oh, what if the pig, there's a pig in that shopping <laughs> bag? Or, or this guy over here, he's smoking a baby, a baby, and the baby's like a living hookah. And then, <laughs> yeah, and stuff like that. It's it, it sort of... Um, you call it off the top of my head a lot of it I don't plan out oh I'm going to draw mm -hmm. like in hard boil you know I never a lot of that stuff just kind of came it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't planned <laughs> do you ever with the uh, pages in hard boil do you ever kind of look at the end of it and go where did that come from uh, no what, what happens as soon as I forget what I, I don't remember a lot of what I draw and a lot of times I go oh Jesus wow why did I draw that? Or like, why did I draw this stuff? I'm like, wow, I can look at, wow, I did draw, wow, look at that little thing over there. I don't remember drawing that at all. It's a, so you met yeah. Miller um, through Mobius? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just suggested those working. are those classic Mobius moments where <laughs> Mobius called me up. He's living in Los Angeles, and I was there. And I'd I'd talk with Frank on the phone because I'd kind of. Uh, gotten his I don't know how I got his well no I, I, yeah because he was living in LA and, and and Mobius was living in Los Angeles and I would move back to uh, France no no I was there for the, I was living there during the summer because I'd come back in the summers from Paris and go to San Diego and just kind of and I was there and uh, I get a call Mobius says oh uh, you know um uh, Frank Miller's coming over to the house. Would you like to meet him? And I said, yeah, yeah. So I go out there, and I get there, and Frank and Lynn Varley come in. And, of course, Mobius never showed up, so it was just me and Frank and Mobius' wife, so that's how we get to know each other. <laughs> and I'd never, I never, you know, and Frank, we were talking, he never really knew what I, I did. I never told him. I mean, and the same with Mobius when I met him. I never told him that I was a cartoonist or... Because I always figured, well, it would make him uncomfortable because there's another guy who's going to want to show me his stuff and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Cause I, and I never did. And, and um, in both cases, Mobius had asked me, he said, you know, what do you do? And I said, oh, I, I draw. And he goes, oh, can I see what you do? And then I showed him. And the same with Frank. I, remember I called Frank up one night. I was back in Paris because Dark Knight had come on. I called him just to tell him how great I thought it was. And he goes, no, wait a minute. 
you drew this. And I said, that's you. I said, yeah. Because I realized that you drew. And, it, and then we started talking, and that's how. You know. And later, when I moved back to Los Angeles, we'd go out to lunch and, quite a bit. And uh, he said, would you ever draw anybody else's stuff? And I said, yeah, I guess. It depends on you. And he goes, well, how about me? I said, yeah. <laughs> So what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do something that's got, you know, lots of action <laughs> in it. He said, okay. And that's how... And the first thing we were actually going to do was something that John Romita Jr. drew, was that Daredevil story. Oh, okay, because that was worked on for quite a long time, wasn't it? Well, he had, you know, he had, had the idea for it. And uh, he wanted to know if I wanted to do it. And I, I originally said, yeah, because I'd like to have drawn Daredevil. But the thing is, is he's never in costume. And I thought, if I'm going to do a superhero, I want to do it in costume. <laughs> and he wasn't, so I didn't. And then the other thing we were going to do was a thing that he had an idea with Steve Gerber. And it was kind of a Superman thing. It wasn't Superman, but it was a character like that. And, uh, you know, we were all going to do it together. And, and for some reason never it just became impossible and then he came up with this thing he came up with hard boil there you go it's all downhill <laughs> from there yeah but I mean you know the funny thing about hard boil was he was never meant to be I mean I drew him but he was never meant to be a robot or, you know He's, but, but I drew this stuff and he goes my god how, how can he still be alive he said how can he be after all I go who cares you know I mean, it's just a comic book. I mean, I don't care, because he had glass. I mean, the first few drawings I did of him, I mean, you know, he's got glass sticking out of him, and he's all, you know, shot to hell. And I, I'd watch those John Woo movies. I always like the Chinese movies, because, like, you can get, in American movies, you get shot in the gut, it's game's over, you're dead. Yeah. But in Chinese movies, you, you, you know, uh, the only thing slowing you down is the amount of lead that's in your body from getting shot. You know, and they'll walk out together just soaked in blood. And, oh, we'll see you next week, Joe. And, you know, and that was my thinking. I think, yeah, why not? It's just, it's like a Chinese John Woo movie. You know, it's yeah. all shot up. And But frankly, well, we got to make him a cyborg. And, and then he became a robot because it was still, he still said there's no way that you can... Yeah, there you go. How much of a lead time did you have working on it? Because I know the third issue came out well after the second. Oh, I was, second. you know, I was working on the European you know, sort of. Uh, the people always tell me how late I was, and I, I wasn't late. I just, I never said I would finish it at that point. I said <laughs> do it when I did it. And as it was, I there was a whole lot more that I had planned to draw. That Frank said, you just got to stop. You got to stop. You just got to, you know, where this thing will never come out. Because I mean, there was. At the end of it, there's that huge massacre, you know, all those dead guys. And I'd, I was, I'd figured to draw all that. I was mm -hmm. going to show him killing a gazillion guys. And, um, and he said, no, you'll never get it done. So, <laughs> how how in-depth was the script that he provided for you? Were you basically having a lot of leeway? Well, you know, like, there are sequences in there that aren't in the script because they just, you know, he said, well, he does this, and I, I always had a hard time kind of, well, like there's a chase in the second issue where he's in that cop car, mm -hmm. and I don't know if you remember, but all that was stuff that I just drew. I mean, it's not in the script. Cause they, he says, well, he gets in this car and it crashes into this, you know, 
supermarket, and then I drew all that stuff because I used to. Think, well, there's not enough action anyway. Yeah, I have him doing some stuff, and I just drew it because I never showed Frank anything. He never saw anything until I was done drawing it, and that kind of drove him crazy. Because I mean, he really likes to share stuff, and I, I don't like to share things until they're done. Because I'm always afraid they're gonna say, "Oh, this stinks," and then I'll, oh, yeah, he's right. And then I'll start it over. So the best way to do something is to just draw it. And here it is. <laughs> like it or hate it, that's it. And if you don't like it, you don't have to print it. And well, we all like it. Well, it's nice you to say. I know I, I've kind of had a recent run. I, I, <laughs> I did some for, for, for DC Comics and I didn't run it. There's a Superman cover and they gave me some. The editor was a really nice guy, but he gave me some reason why they didn't run it. And I was like, yeah, come on. That was recently? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I kind of I liked it. I thought it was funny. It was this whole thing they were doing? This Superman is on this walkabout. Oh, he's kind of rediscovering America. And they asked a bunch of guys to do like the, Kevin Nolan was one of them, and and they said you could draw whatever you want as Superman. That's the thing. He's rediscovering America, and uh, you just can't show him in New York. And so you know, I thought about it. I thought, well. Get some flying in front of Mount Rushmore, you know, all that the stuff that, you know. And then I thought, I know. And I, <laughs> I drew him having tea with this cat lady in this room. She's like, there's a little old lady, and she's serving him tea and cookies, and he's sitting on her couch having tea with her, and then all these cats around, and all these pictures of her family on the wall. And I thought it was funny. And, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of America. And, mm-hmm. And they, you know, they didn't, they didn't run it. They said that, you know, that the issue was supposed to run. And the, they had to change it. It was Lois Lane centric, and they had to. So I was like, ah. and, the, and the editor was a really nice guy. He was very, you know, IGM. Really. So we're going to use it some someday. Blah blah blah. But I don't think they ever will because I'm yes. sure someone said, "Whoa, wait a minute." <laughs> 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 Nothing's getting hit. All the other ones, all the, the other ones were pretty much what you thought they would be. Him flying with clouds, or you know. And they were all beautiful. I just thought, well, I thought mine was kind of funny. Yeah. But it'll never see the light of day. Oh, one day they'll throw it as a bonus feature know. in something. When doing the work in Hardboiled, would you ever um, kind of do backgrounds and then do the characters separate? No, I always draw the character first and then the backgrounds come in. Yeah. Okay. So I was wondering about that scene where they're in the junkyard, where the oh well that off. one now that that that's the exception of the rule. I did that animation style. Mm-hmm. I drew that. I drew a long pan of a junkyard, and then I started and I just kind of moved the background behind him. But I redrew it every time. <laughs> I re-inked it every time. That drove me crazy. I could have just I suppose I don't know xeroxed it, and but I felt like it should be inked each time so it's kind of inches along and but that that was a rare uh, rare example generally i draw the characters and then i put the background in i mean on the drawing let's yeah. say so you never um reproduce images um to reuse in stuff like no. number xerox I, no I, always, I hate to say that i always think that's cheating but that's me I'm i i agree I think, oh man, you know, because I always see guys will, and they'll do this. I can't 
if it's the same background, it's just the figures kind of change, and I'll re-ink it each time behind them. So they're never, if you put one over the other, they probably would, there'd be a little bit of a, they wouldn't register, because mm-hmm. I've, you know, changed it a little bit. But that's uh, me, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, I just don't, it's a personal thing. There's a certain uh, loss in the art, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I always yeah, felt I cheated when I'd read a comic and I'd just see the head would change a little bit. Maybe an eye would go up or, you know. Oh. Well, sometimes it depends if you're trying to make a point. I guess you can, you know, like, if you got the face and he's not smiling and all of a sudden... I, sometimes I'll play with that too where you just have, like they do, maybe I've never done it, where you have, like, the guy's just the face and the next panel's the same face, the next panel's the same face, and then the fourth panel... He's raised his eyebrow, just like you're kind of given a sense of time. But that doesn't work very well in American comics. The Japanese can do it in, in manga, but I don't. Americans don't do it too much. I don't think. Sometimes, but not too much. Um, it's more of a modern like, thing like, than historical, I think, over the last 15 years, especially with Photoshop. Yeah, but, yeah, but you know, once again, I, I, I ink it each time. I wouldn't just.
just to remind people, I'm talking to Jeff Darrow, um, who's going to be in Seattle uh, March 4th, 5th, and 6th for the Emerald City Comic Con, um, which is part of the reason we're talking today, to kind of promote that, and also the fact that I'm a huge fan of your work, Jeff. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, film, Metropolis and Blade Runner, I feel like they're both kind of big impacts on your work stylistically uh, you know not not as not as much as you'd think i mean because for me it's uh not metropolis at all blade runner is certain a little bit but mostly it's mobius because blade runner without mobius just does not exist and i mean i i worked with ridley scott uh, on a thing and you know he loves that guy's stuff and if you go back to the long tomorrow and the inkle that's blade runner and mm-hmm. that that's always been my my big influence was that you know i mean Quite frankly, I didn't even like Blade Runner. I mean, I liked the way it looked, but I always thought it was—I thought it was awful slow. (laughs) 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 And I always wanted some action to it. And I remember I worked with Ridley Scott, and we're doing working on this thing, and we're talking about. He was now. There's an amazing guy because I learned this from him. Whenever he called me up, he would explain who he was. (laughs) He never took for granted, you know, all the. This is uh, Ridley Scott. Uh, I'm a film director. I direct, and he gave me his resume on the phone. I'm going, yeah, I know who you are, Mr. Scott. And he goes, yes. And I thought, wow, now that's class. He just did not take for granted. And what are you talking? He goes, well, I worked on this film. Uh, it was called Blade Runner. Yeah, I, I, I know. <laughs> and he, uh, we're, we're talking, and he's talking about Blade Runner. And he said, what do you think? I said, well, you know, I thought it was a really beautiful movie, and it is. It, it, I appreciate it more than when it first came out because I thought it was going to be, you know, I'd seen Indiana Jones. I wanted, I thought it was going to be, you know, kicking yeah. ass and taking his phone number. And it's a different kind of movie. And, and I said to him, you know, I just wish there had been more action. And he goes, exactly. So did I. They wouldn't let me put it in there. I wanted more action. And they said, no, no, you got to do this. I was like, wow. And they explained to me what that action was going to be. And I was like, well, I don't know that would have spent it up much. But he, <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's an amazing guy. I mean, he... The stuff that he wanted to do, I mean, he had wanted to, uh, that's a whole other story, but. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. See, you've been working in film quite extensively. Uh, sort of, yeah. Sort of. I don't, you know. I don't, I don't, I guess I've, not as much as like, because I mean, I, when I work in them, and I, there's these guys out there that work nonstop. I mean, I yeah. don't know how they do it. There's, they go from working on, you know, Blade Runner to uh, uh, Look Who's Talking Six uh, to, you know, the Fairy Godfather to, uh, you know, and it's like, how do you, you know, go from working on something that's really cool like, uh, you know, like Blade Runner to suddenly having to do, you know, some some teenage comedy that I don't even understand why they have to be doing these drawings for them because they don't really, you know, I mean, if you're a director directing a comedy, it's just, you don't need to storyboard that. You should, you should be able to just, you know, <laughs> come on. You're not dealing with visual effects where you have to know where all the elements are. That's completely understandable. But, you know, well, we're doing, you know, Who's Mama? Who's Mama? Is that or those Mama movies? Oh, were, God. You know, yeah. You know, those. I mean, why would you, st- I know, guys, why would you have to storyboard that? But they do. So are you pretty specific on uh, what you want to work on? Well, no, I just, you know, I mean, I get called for 
I never looked to break into movies, and they just called me up, and I, quite frankly, ever thought I could do it. And you know, I, when I worked on, because the first kind of movie thing I actually worked on was Ridley Scott, and that thing never got got made. And it, you know, I quite frankly didn't enjoy it much because it was a pretty hackneyed uh, project. But you you find out that these guys all have about fifty things going, mm-hmm. and one they're hoping one of them will catch. Yeah, and so you know, I always like I always like when people, oh Jeff, guess what? They optioned my comic. I go, well, yeah, don't don't go buy that mansion because you know, (laughs) 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 they'll option any. You can get anything optioned. They'll throw a couple grand at you. Yeah, and there's many comics you hear about where, oh yeah, there's a movie coming out of it. I thought I heard about that ten years ago. Until, until you're like halfway through the actual filming, anything can happen. It'll, it'll fall apart. Yeah. Just look at, uh, what was it, uh, Terry Gilliam's uh, yeah. Don Quixote thing. I think that's the best yeah. example of... Uh, well, you know, that you could be set to go, and you have all the actors. You can even be in wherever it is you're going to film. And, you know, it's a week before, and you're getting ready to go, and bang, you get a call from the studio. We're, we're shutting it down. It's like... I was over in um, Australia and they were doing those Matrix sequels and the next thing coming in there was The Fountain and it was Brad Pitt was going to be in it and it was Darren Aronofsky was directing it and and the studio, I mean, they were building the sets and they realized, whoa, this is a $90 million uh, independent film and they shut it down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Superman, another great, you know, I worked on uh, one version of Superman but the, the one with Nicolas Cage, they had started... They were building the sets. They were going to go, and then, bang, it got shut down. It's still cheaper to shut something down and spend $5 million in to make a movie that they think is going to tank. And I mean, it's a huge investment, I mean, movies. So. It's amazing. Such a, I don't know, myself, I just look and just see money going down a sink, and I don't know. Well, I it's remember too one bad. time I was... I was working on the Matrix films and they were the sequels and they were getting you know grief from the studio about oh you can't do this it's going to cost too much and they were going to shut it down and I remember saying well you know if you want I'll you know you can cut my salary and you know if that'll help and they're like this so they go no you know that's <laughs> that that's not what's going to no that's just it's that kind of cost is negligible we're not yeah. gonna, they appreciate it you know you ask it but. That's been a pretty steady partnership working with uh, Wachowskis. Yeah, yeah, well. it was, you know, I worked on, you know, up till you know, Speed Racer was the last thing that they've done. But I mean, you know, they haven't made a movie since, and with the climate that's out there, you know, Speed Racer did not do well, and so you're only as good as you know your last, your last yes. Yeah. And they're having, they're trying to get projects going, and they're having a hard time because. Speed Racer bombed. Okay. Yeah. It's the the unfortunate world of it. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the background to Shaolin Cowboy, because you said Bourbon Threat was the earlier version. Uh, when did well, when did he yeah. first appear to you as a as someone you wanted to focus on? Well, way back when originally I had done it, and it was originally. Actually, David Scroge was working on it. It used to be Pacific Comics. 
which was had done the Rocketeer originally, and and uh, they were down in San Diego, and I knew Dave Stevens. I'd met him. He was working at Filmation at the time, and uh, he said, "Oh, yeah, go down and talk to them." And I went down. And I showed it to him. And it was this thing I wanted to do, and I showed him a drawing. And he said, yeah, we would like to do that. And of course, the company went under before it ever came out. But I always liked. Uh, I'm a big fan of Japanese films, and uh, especially uh, Zatoichi. And I wanted to do something kind of like Zatoichi, but I also liked. I also like spaghetti westerns. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to have a six-gun and a sword. That was that, that was the, those are the. I really thought it out well. It's, I mean, it, it, that's basically, you know, it. I mean, I like the idea of the. I mean, all the way back to Yojimbo and then mm-hmm. Seven Samurai. It was just for me the archetype of all modern heroes is Yojimbo. I, you can't get by that movie without. He's just such an amazing... That's just a great movie. That kind of anti-hero... Yeah, that just kind of comes in, and I love it. I mean, and I think people have lost it. I just like that you don't know what he's done. You don't know who he is, or where he came from, or why he's doing what he's doing. You get an idea from just by kind of watching the film. They give little hints, but I still, to this day, love the idea that you don't know where he's, where he's going either, and you never do. And I remember in those Indiana Jones movies, that third one, I hated the fact that they explained why he's got the hat, why he's got the whip, why he's afraid of the snakes. Who cares? As yeah. soon as you explain it, it becomes so mundane. And the amazing thing about that was all these important things happened to him within like three minutes of his life. I mean, <laughs> okay. Kind of cheapens and it. I remember in France, they loved that. They just loved it. They, they thought that was just brilliant. And I was like, come on. Très bien. I mean, in Fr- I mean, in France, I used to argue with them. And they'd say, you know, your characters, if they come in the door, they come in the door and they explain to the guy why they're going to shoot him and why they have to kill him. And then the bad guy says, well, you know, yes, but, you know, and then they'll, he'll do this discussion, and then the good guy will shoot him. Yeah. I said, the Americans, you just bust down the door, you go in and you shoot the guy, and you find out later he's an abuse kid or whatever, and you know, or, or not. And yeah, <laughs> that's the difference between French and American comedy. And the uh, and the spaghetti westerns, just no one would talk. <laughs> yeah, no one would talk, and because you know, uh, and you know, I mean, they you know they made so many of basically the same movie over and over. Just like the Japanese, I mean, so many people. I mean, I, yeah, I don't think people in America realize how many movies. Samurai movies there are that they've mm-hmm. never ever seen. Some amazing ones. I mean, really amazing films that people have never seen. Black and white. And they know, you know, they everybody. Oh, I'm a big fan of Japanese films. Really, yes. I've seen Seven Samurai and I've seen Yojimbo. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, what about you know? And then there's these other ones that you, even when I was in Japan, I mean, they were amazing. They go, how do you know? The, the Japanese don't know these movies anymore. You know the the guy. You know the you know the baby cart movies. Yeah. I mean, nobody knows the movies that guy they made before that that uh, were you know just crazy uh, yakuza films that that you know, the actor main actor. Oh, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy that did Battle Royale. That. Oh yeah, yeah. What's his name? Uh, uh, yeah. Fuka. Fukasaki. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. 
But there's a guy that's like, man, <laughs> he's really hit and miss. He'll do like one really great one and then do a really crappy one. <laughs> that guy just always, uh, you ever seen Message from Space? No. He did that. I mean, it's the most goofiest thing you've ever seen in your life. Just never watch the second Battle Royale. I've never even seen the first one because I that, that kind of I just that kind of film doesn't uh, appeal to me. Like Saw, those kind of movies, hate them. Just can't figure it out. Just totally escapes me. I don't like horror movies, to be quite frank, with the exception of Halloween. Halloween, I like quite a bit. You know, I never actually watched the, the Halloween movies. I don't know why. Well, the first one is a really, really neat movie, I think. You have this woman that, you know, I mean, I like, that's what I think. The woman, the Jamie Lee Curtis character, she's not just running her. She eventually, like, hey, you got to stop. And she, you know, then she's not a victim. And most of those movies are about victims. and Like the Friday the 13th things, I can't watch those. Yeah, they're just, they yeah. appeal to me. I just want you know. I mean, I, I'm I'm a horror. I'm like, I'm the dirty hairy guy. I'm just waiting for him to show up and, and shoot Freddy and kill him. That's all yeah. I want to see. Yeah. Why are you running? Just shoot him. He's got a machete. Yeah. What's he gonna do? Yeah. Um, getting back to the to the cowboy, you're saying so you're gonna try doing something Pacific, and then Pacific went under as uh, as many black and white or non black and white, but what? small yeah. publishers in the eighties. Um, and after that's when you did the album in France. Well, yeah. Well, I just the story that I'd started and showed to them was what I I sent to. I remember going to France for the first time, and uh, Mobius had arranged for me to go to Metal Herlong, and he took me in there, and um, I showed it to him, and I said, "Yeah, we want to print it." And uh, I'm like, oh, great! You know, <laughs> I'm going to be in the same magazine as my idol. And I, remember I mailed it to her. This is classic. It got returned. Cause <laughs> and I'm like, what? Uh-huh. I get, uh, and, I, and I wrote, and it turns out that, like, in France, in uh, July and August, they just shut down. Yeah. So there was nobody there to sign for the thing. Yeah. So it just it sat in the post office, and they returned it to me. But at the time, I'm like, wow, that's really messed up, because that was a lot of money to me to mail that thing over there. So I remember sending it back to them, and they, you know, they, they got it that time. Quebec does the same thing, but just for one month, apparently. August. Pardon me? Quebec, apparently August, it just shuts down. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah a lot of stuff. It's, uh, it's not like it used to be, because huh? you know, I lived over there for, for God, 13 years, and, and they, it got better. But, I mean, it, I mean, there are rules, I mean, in France. I mean, they've got more rules than you can shake a stick at, but nobody, you know, nobody followed them. Yeah, classic. I remember when they first when I first went there, I said, "My God, you'd make a fortune here if you delivered pizza," because there was no such thing as delivery. And they eventually got around to having delivered pizza, and they had the you know the guarantee. Well, if it's not there in thirty minutes, yeah. And I remember saying, "Well, okay, if it's not there in thirty minutes, then what? Well, it will be. <laughs> we guarantee it will be." I said, "Yeah, but if it isn't," and they said, "Well, it will be." I said, "Yeah, but if it isn't." I said, if there's no teeth to back up that, like, you know, like the, the time dominoes, if it doesn't show up, it's free. I said, well, is it free if you don't show up? Oh, no, no. Then so what? You can make any kind of claim. <laughs> if, there's no, if, there's, if there's nothing to... And we had, I remember arguing with this guy on the phone about it because I thought it was just so hilarious that they... But then nobody follows the rules. So, you, you know, you'd go, you'd go to the post office with a package, and if they didn't feel like... They go, no, we don't do that here. Like, well, what do you mean you don't do that here? 
you know, you have to go to the post office, you know, and the other R and D's mall. And why? And they just, they just didn't want to do it. <laughs> I mean, it was sometimes I'd just go crazy. I was like, man, <laughs> you can't. God bless. <laughs> yeah. well, Japan's a whole other story, but I mean, Japan yeah. is like just so efficient, and, but yeah. sometimes mind-bogglingly. So you can't. You know, if there's a, like a piece of a grain of sand gets into their machine, it just shuts everything down. Um, with Shaolin Cowboy, uh, because it's work that you've written, um, it obviously feels a lot different. You, you kind of have more of a sense of humor, I feel like, than or more uh, a colorful sense of humor, a less dark sense of humor, maybe. Yeah, I yeah I always thought, but in the drawing, I always thought it was funny. Cause yeah, when, you know, like when Frank, he would, you know, like in hard boiled and the big guy. I mean, I think it's funny because it's just so over the top. Yeah, I, you know, I thought I drew some funny stuff in hard boiled just because it was just so over the top. And there's some little gags. I put gags in the, you know. Um, on the billboards and stuff, there's a lot of gags. That you know, <laughs> I mean the, I mean I, I remember it, Frank. I kept drawing bulldogs in the corner and stuff of and hard boiled and that. He said, "Why do you keep drawing those bulldogs?" I, said, oh, I just did a joke. I mean, oh, because they're the dog of the future. I just like. <laughs> and so he. Uh, he said, well, he had to explain it. So he added, there's a couple pages at the beginning that he added after I'd finished. And you see like a little robot bulldog in a corridor. And he wanted to explain it, you know. Uh, yeah. He said, oh, you know, I don't think you have to. But, you know, he was a writer, so. <laughs> Are there any plans to continue with Shaolin Cowboy, or is it kind of... Yeah, yeah, I want to do, you know, I, I you know spent uh, three years trying to do this animated film of it and oh really never get finished and that was just time that you know I was, I was really funny because people would say to me so you're, what were you doing there? well I was in Japan like a, in like a year or more and and then before that doing this other stuff to prepare for it and well you still doing the comic I go come on man do you realize how much work it is making movies you can't it's like yeah I'm going to work I work 12 days at the studio and then I'm going to come home and spend another 8 hours drawing comics I'm not that crazy you, you may be in Japan but you don't have the uh, manga artist uh, work ethic yeah but those guys all got <laughs> you know, they all got like uh, like 3 or 4 assistants and, yeah. but still I mean they still work like crazy man but I, I got to visit a few guys studios and uh, I mean it's really hard to meet it's not like here you know you can you can okay I get you know Duncan Fregredo's phone number and you know and you can write him an email and they'll answer you and you can sort over there it's just like you know no I cannot give you his number yeah apparently like uh, Tezuka he had his room that he worked in and only his wife had access to yeah. it or something yeah yeah it's also interesting and they can understand because yeah, I mean that guy Jesus that guy's like the Jack Kirby of Japan I mean he did so much more more so though where it's just yeah. like I was um this one guy was telling me that a story. The documentary they did on him is just amazing. I haven't watched it yet, oh, but I've oh, heard it's really great. It's the one with the big book. 
Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I remember watching, I watched it in Japan, because I was in Japan and they showed it, and yet they did this wonderful program that, oh God, it was so amazing, because he and all these uh, seminal, seminal, uh, that's how you say it, I mispronounced the word, uh, artists that all started together, and they had all worked in this one house, and I think they were going to tear this house down, and they all met in there one more time. Yeah. And you had the guy that created Cyborg 009, and the guy that did, I don't know, Doraemon, and, and they're all there, and they're all talking about what it was like all working, doing manga. And it was just so uh, amazing. Since a community, these guys yeah. all... Um, the... Marv Newland, he was telling me a story of hanging out in Japan with uh, Tezuka and how they'd just be walking down the street and people would be yelling to him from cars. Yeah, because, I mean, he wore that beret and you just you could spot him. I saw him talk at, uh, at USC. He gave a long talk. He'd done this film. and Yeah, you know, he's just an amazing guy. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I was a big fan of, you know, obviously Astro Boy and my favorite is, and thank God, you know, they finally translated my favorite comic by him, and that is Dororo, which I think is just amazing. I love that comic. I, I have a couple volumes, but I haven't read it yet. It's, in oh, my... it's, it's, it's never finished it. He actually never finished it, but it's just such a, a crazy, great story. It's like this warped, you know, Pinocchio. I, I read a Apollo song, and that just blew me away. Just how much he was playing with time, and just like metaphorically, so much he's throwing in it for culture, and yeah. I mean, more can be said about Tezuka than there's time to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, him, and I mean, but my my guy that I really like too, and gosh. I keep trying to get people to print this guy's work here in America, in English. And that is Sanpei Shirato, who did a lot of, you know, if you call them Jedi Geke or Chambara, or they did their samurai ninja stories. And they, Eclipse printed some of them, and his Kamui is one of them. Oh, okay. But he didn't really draw those. He was writing them at that point. He'd stop drawing. But you go way back, and he did all these great ones. This thing called uh, the very first Kamui that he drew, and it's a little more cartoony, and it's really fantastic. And actually, Kojima, who did, you know, drew Lone Wolf and Cub, Kozuri Ogami, uh, he he was a guy that worked on it. And they're just in France, they're printing them, and I can read French, and I can finally read. I've read these things sort of in Japanese. I just go from panel to panel, but they're not translating. And a magnificent story about you know just the social structure and the, the bullshit of Bushido and all that stuff, because I do think all that stuff is, it's kind of bullshit. Mm -hmm. and, you know, they always talk about how, you know, loyalty to one's lord, it's like, it's like you know, the mafia now, it's like, yeah. And they, unless they're threatened, then all that goes out the window. Yeah. It's, uh, I have a friend who will do the same, where he can't read Japanese, but he'll go to this Japanese bookstore in Vancouver, because they have, like, oh, manga wow. for $2. Um, so he'll just get stacks of stuff. Like he got this amazing Otomo book that's um has like the Wizard of Oz, but they all have like giant phalluses and it's wow. like it's amazing. And no one's printing it. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of I mean I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Tokyo, but my god, there's some of the stuff I was like, Holy Jesus if they do it 
they got porno comics that are like, my God, I mean, it, 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 you, if you were to bring that stuff in the United States, you'd get arrested. I mean, it really, it's, I mean, yeah. it's not kiddie porn in it. You know, there's no real children involved, but it's, and it's right next to the other stuff. It's like, oh my God. I mean, it's just rancid. And, you know, they've been trying, they were actually were trying to uh, stop that. And, you know, a lot of guys spoke out, oh, it's creative freedom and this and that. Like, well, on an intellectual level, I understand what they're saying, but there's, I mean, come on, who, you're just feeding some ugly, ugly uh, taste. Yeah. That, I mean, there's no, nobody, nobody needs to have that kind of shit. That's something you have a particular interest in as far as children's rights, correct? Yeah, um, yeah. I, protect.org, that's something. Yeah, I, yeah, with, you know, I, I, I'm very involved with that through uh, a very close friend of mine, Andrew Vax, and uh, I just think it's, you know, I, I mean, because I remember, I remember there was a guy that, in Texas that was arrested for having some of that Japanese stuff, and I think he's been condemned for having kiddie porn, and I talked to Andrew about it, and he said, you know, they're wasting their time. I mean, you know, that's bullshit. I said, it's not kitty porn. I said, well, yeah, but, well, you know, there's no real children involved. There's not, it's not photographs. It's not, you know, it's just, granted, it's, it's sick, disgusting stuff, but it's just drawings. Mm-hmm. That's not the stuff. They're wasting their time going after this bozo guy in Texas who buys this stuff. You know, the, the guy, or anybody, but, you know, the they're not going after the guys that traffic in the real thing, you know, the photos that they put on the internet or sell and all that crap. And, what is it that was it Andrew's involvement that got you involved with it, like I as a particular yeah, I don't issue? Know, I just, it just it just seems so wrong to me. I you remember the first time I I'd read one, I'd heard him on the radio in the eighties. I was drawing hard boiled, and he just seemed like wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. I mean. And I read one of his books, and I thought it was really great. And I had Dark Horse was starting to adapt people like novels into comics, and so I had to read this guy. This guy'll you know take the hair off the top of your head. And um, they liked it, and they contacted him, and he wanted to get into comics just you know because it's a medium to, to just sort of push you know kids rights and stuff and to talk about a lot of this stuff which most people don't believe you know they always think they think of kitty porn they think it's you know like david hamilton and you know lolita and it's like you know this beautiful 14 year old girl who and you know they don't realize there are these horrible guys out there that are doing shit with babies even I mean, it's really disgusting mm-hmm. stuff and um it just seems so wrong to me and then we just you know and they and they had they were going to do this book with him, and uh, I, you know, was going to do a book called Another Chance to Get It Right, and I said I'd do one of the stories, and I called him up and talked to him, and that's how it started. And, you know, I just talked to him this morning. Yeah, I just it just seems so... Anyway, if you think about it, you know, and I'm not a big, you know, you know it's just... Kids really don't have any rights. They really don't. I mean, parents can do what they want with them. I mean, they're just like possessions. I mean, yeah. And you know, someone they should have you know, rights to. You know, I mean, when they talk about child prostitution, basically there is no such thing. in that a prostitute uh, sometimes they have a, they have a choice. You know, they want to you know sort of they want to you know do sex for money. A kid that's sold into prostitution. You ask him, kid, if he wants to have sex with some forty-year-old guy, 
eh, I don't think they're going to want to do it, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, so they're just basically treated like slaves. And, and well, they are slaves. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know. No, it's uh, exploitation. So it's a horrible I, thing. Yeah. Because the big word is consenting adults. I mean, you know, if two people can do whatever they want to do in the privacy home as long as they're of the age and consenting, and I've got nothing against it. And, but, you know, some guy, you know, with a three year old or eight year old or ten year old, whatever, it's just, you know. I really get into arguments with people about Roman Polanski because it just, you know. Why well, hasn't he suffered enough? I go, why well, hasn't he suffered, man? <laughs> he still makes his movies. He's got these houses all over the world. I'd like to suffer as much as that. <laughs> in his chateau in Switzerland? Yeah. Yeah, come on, give me a break. I mean, all these guys have come out in support of him, and, like, wow, what's to support the guy? You know, if the guy had done the time that they gave him, the thing would have been behind him. Yeah. We were going to give him something like six or seven months, and he just didn't want to do even that. And he did do what he did. And, you know. But anyway, that's a... Yeah. That's a, it's a mess. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see you coming to the comic convention in Seattle. Do you do conventions very often, or is this kind of a... Yeah, when I get asked, I like I love doing comic conventions. I like to... I like them. Nice. I, like, I was in Seattle once. I, You know, it's really funny. I... I don't get asked that much, and this year people are asking me, maybe because I have said yes, but I don't, you know, get get asked. Sometimes I think people think that, I may be wrong, that you work in movies, like, oh, he's not going to waste his time because, you know, he works in these movies and blah, blah, blah. And I, I think it's important to go out there and, you know, I think that's something Frank and I always say, Frank, the comic conventions make Frank nervous. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's very shy and, when we would do signings together, it would drive him crazy because I would, uh, I'd do drawings. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh, you know, you're holding up the line, Jeff. I go, well, you know. And he'd get up and work the line, you know, get him sign and then could leave. And I'd still be sitting there drawing because he just, you know. But I think it's, I like to meet the people that. Yeah. If I, know, I say if, uh, if Jack Kirby could do it standing, you know. Wait till a uh, ripe old age. It's always nice, you know. Yeah, I'm gen- I mean, gosh, that guy, man, what a gentleman. But I also understand, like, uh, especially in situations like Frank and Alan Moore, where they kind of came to popularity in a period of significant um, audience interest, where yeah. it would border on kind of psychotic. Yeah, you'd have. Yeah, you'd have. Yeah. But I, you know, I, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, there is that that part of meeting people where some people are really, really nice, other people are really, really demanding, and they basically come to. They've got their issues, and they've just come to tell you how crappy you are. <laughs> and, and it's like, and I love those guys. They're like, wow, you know, I'm glad you got that off your chest. <laughs> At least you know you're not going to be going to Walmart and buying a gun and shooting somebody. That's good. I'm glad. You know, I mean, I, 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 why, you know, why would you, you know, why would you spend your 45 minutes waiting to get up here to tell me that? <laughs> or I'm never going to read another comic by you again. Like, oh, yeah. Why, why is that? 
Well, because, you know, you're always late. I go, well, I'm sorry. That's how it is. Then don't. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it in. I'm going to throw in the towel now because yeah. of you. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think I mean, you know. And fr- but France was the worst because you have to do you have to do drawings over there. I've heard and that. People, and you go to Angoulême, and you know they don't. You're sitting there and you're eating your dinner, and they come up. Oh, I want you to. And, you know, you got the fork halfway to your mouth, and it's like, well, yeah, but can you see I'm eating here? And they go, oh, and it's always yes, but my mother, she is dying, and I have to go back to it. And always some crazy. Can we artists? We'd all there was a list of the excuses that people always used. And you'd see the guys the next day that would still be there. I remember one guy, and I was sitting with, "Hey, how's your mom? Huh? Okay. How's your mother? You told me. You know, she's, you know, she's, she's taking out. You know, she's fine. I know. She's, she, you know, come out of it. I've come out of the coma or whatever it was. Oh yes, oh yes, she's much, much better, much better. <laughs> I mean, you know that it. I mean, some of the excuses are really good, but some of them are just so. And yeah, you know, but, it's not just a matter of like how famous you are. Like I have uh, this one. Quebec cartoonist is telling me, and he's not a very big name, but he has the same experience where everyone just wants a drawing. Doesn't matter who you are, yeah. they yeah. want a drawing, and they'll come with like five copies of the same book for drawings, oh. or like two drawings in one book. Well, you always get like there's the things that you've I've drawn that people are like, wow, I've signed more of that goofball thing I did, some pinup of some. And generally, it's some girl character, you know. Yeah. I used to talk. I used to art, Frank and I would. What, what's this thing about Betty Page? I don't see why she's so popular. And I said to Frank, I think it's because, you know, come on, you're a comic book fan, and you, you know, say you love Spider-Man. You know, there is no Spider-Man; it doesn't exist. And there's no Hulk, but. You know, Dave Stevens has drawn Betty Page as a character in a comic book. Mm-hmm. And oh, she's a sexy girl. And if these guys have suddenly discovered that this comic book character actually existed. So, wow. You know, the real, wow. I could have actually met this girl. She actually exists. It's like finding out Spider Man actually lives. I think that's part of the reason why Betty Page is so popular, because I think Dave really just brought her out of, wow, she, she really exists. And, you know, Dave eventually met her. Yeah, no, he was actually quite important as far as like getting her and, rights. And he took back. care of her. I mean, you know, yeah. he literally he did. He took care of her. He would when when she did come out, he he uh, he made money off her, and he gave her. He wrote her checks. Unlike you know, I'm not going to mention his name. A guy that exploited the hell out of her never gave her a dime. And but Dave, you know, and he would take her. Uh, I think she died almost the same year as Dave. No, it was quite soon after. Yeah. Yeah, and which was amazing. But he would take her out. He she would take her shopping, and take her to groceries. And I remember talking to him once about you know he said hey, I was driving her and you know we went by there's a store in L.A. called the Golden Apple, and we stopped and we're looking in the window because she wanted to see what it was like in there. And I said, well, why don't you take her in, Dave? Because I couldn't do that. I said, well, yeah, well, she'd be recognized. And I started laughing. I said, come on, Dave. I said she can't have the same hairdo. Who's gonna recognize you? Yeah, she does. I go, are you kidding me? She's got that page. <laughs> Holy Jesus. You know, she's like 70 years old. You know, wow. Uh, that, he was, he, there was a wonderful guy, Dave. Yeah. I said, really, you know. He, well, he would come and visit me in France. We would always go out and do stuff. And he loved it there, you know. 
I've heard many, many wonderful things about him as a person. Yeah. From a lot of folks. Very He's sad. A character. Mm -hmm. Quite a character. But anyway. <laughs> Unlike myself. Oh, I'm sure you're swell, Jeff. <laughs> um, I'm on, I'm, I am now that I'm on Inkstead. There we go. You're now an Inkstead. Do you have like a call thing? Like, Inkstead. We have a, a theme song that someone made. Really? Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. I would, yeah. It's about a about a minute long. It's fun. How long have you been doing this show? Uh, five years now. Five and a half. Yeah, just over three hundred interviews, and uh, it's fun. Has anybody been contentious with you? Is there anybody that's been like, oh god, I wish I hadn't talked to that guy? Besides me. I'll tell you in a couple minutes. Well, you can't say on the air, can you? No. <laughs> I um, <laughs> I, on that note, uh, thank you for joining us today, Jeff. <laughs> Women are stupid, and I don't respect them. That's right. I just have sex with them. Show me your genitals. Your genitals. What? Show me your genitals. Genitalia. Show me your genitals. Your genitals. What? Show me your genitals. Your genitalia. You're talking to me about stuff. Why? I'd rather see your titties. Now you're talking about other stuff. Why? I'd much rather see your titties. I can't have sex with your personality And I can't put my penis in your college degree And I can't shove my fist in your childhood dreams So why are you sharing all this information with me? It's not sexist cause I'm saying it in a song That's right bitch, now take off your thong And show me your genitals Your genitals what? Show me your genitals Your genitalia Show me your genitals Your genitals what? Show me your genitals Your genitalia Knock, knock, who's there? It's me, wondering why you're not naked. Knock, knock, who's there? Me again, still wondering why you're not naked. I want to see your bum, I don't care what you say. No, I don't have feelings, because feelings are gay. Something, something in the month of May. Bitches love my penis, because it's really big. Girls' brains are much stupider than men's are. So they should always listen to us, because we're smart. Women are only good for three things. Cooking, cleaning, and vaginas. Show me your genitals. Your genitals. What? Show me your genitals. Your genitalia. Show me your genitals. Your genitals. What? Show me your genitals. Your genitalia. I can give good sex to you. Cause I'm really good at sex. I can give good sex to you. Cause I'm really good at sex. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. Shake your bums. I'm out of here. I gotta go have sex with a lot of girls. <laughs>